0: This episode of A Change of Brand is brought to you by Brandpad, a new standard of brand guidelines. Brandpad is an online platform made by designers for designers. Keep listening for a special code just for you, our listeners.
1: A lot of brands, you build them for, for today, for a company, but tech companies change all the time, right? Like They, they have these big bets and these hopes and these ideas and like you got to pivot to what the world is doing. And so if you don't make a brand system that can accommodate change and feel still true to what it always meant, then you're making something that's gonna break. Hey everyone, welcome to A Change of Brand, a show featuring
0: behind the scenes stories, rebrand, glory, drama, or disaster. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Around 2014, I was at a dinner party with friends, some old and some new. We were at a classic, no-frills Mexican restaurant, red and white checkered tablecloth, neon beer logos illuminating the room, and near-perfect margaritas. The group clustered around my end of the table was making small talk, and eventually the classic, so what do you do, question came about. And one young woman sitting across from me mentioned she worked at a birthing center, which was really relevant to me and my wife at the time because we were expecting our first child in a few months. So I said, hey, which one? Where do you work? And she responded, well, it's actually called Isis. And I said, wow, that is quite the name. And then she said, yeah, I'm actually really proud of my boss for sticking to the name. You know, it actually stands for the ancient Egyptian goddess of healing and magic. And he's had it for nearly 20 years, way before the terrorist group ever became a thing. Quickly changing the subject, I said, hmm, how about these margaritas? Because I could not have disagreed more with my dinner friend. Sometimes world events will change the way the world will look at your brand. And a change is needed. And that's at the heart of today's story. What happens when you are about to debut a months-long brand refresh project only to have global events dramatically change the meaning of your new logo? Symbols have the power to conjure up strong emotions. Some can be resoundingly positive and good, while others are downright disgusting or even illegal. We can look at military history and the use of symbols and propaganda to trace the origins of many of those visceral feelings. Dating all the way back to 512 BC with Darius I and the rise of the Persian Empire, propaganda has played a role in every major military conflict since. However, propaganda as we know it today started with the invention of mass media. Most notoriously during World War II and the rise of Hitler and the Nazi regime, the swastika was a symbol adopted by anti-Semitic fascist party in 1910 and will forever represent some of the most horrific crimes and tragedies in history. So much so, the symbol is classified, and rightly so, as a hate symbol, and is outlawed in 36 countries across the world. And most of you already know that. But before the Nazis adopted that symbol, it was widely used for a millennia by Hindus and Buddhists as a symbol of well-being. But that meaning changed over time. Today, as someone who helps companies produce new symbols all the time, you almost always avoid shapes in four parts because it will likely resemble a swastika. It's just something that is best avoided. The moral of the story is, large-scaled global conflicts write history and create meaning for the symbols around us. And on February twenty fourth, two 2022, The world started to witness a new symbol that represented violence, conquest, and nationalism. This new symbol making headlines would cause a moral dilemma for a promising Bay Area startup, Zapier. For more backstory on them and their 2022 change of brand, let's go to brand strategist Tracy Clark for our briefing.
2: Zapier was founded in Columbia, Missouri, by Wade Foster, Brian Helmig, and Mike Newt as part of the first Startup Weekend Columbia in 2011. Pronounced Zapier, you know, like zapping data from one app to another, their company was designed to increase efficiency for business owners. As a no-code automation system, Zapier allows users to push data between various web applications. So why is this important? Why does it matter? Zapier allows for integrations between different applications without having to write any code or wrangle APIs, that is, application programming interface. Assuming that didn't explain anything, APIs basically enable software components to communicate with each other when they would otherwise be isolated. You'd think it would be easy for different applications to be friendly and share information back and forth. Unfortunately, it's just not. Until then, Zapier had been dubbed Duct tape for the internet. Normally, involving a bunch of coding, Zapier creates integrations that push data between different platforms. No hefty web development skills required. Suddenly, you didn't need engineers anymore, a role often out of reach for small businesses. All this internet jargon adds up to essentially eliminating repetitive tasks that previously had to be done manually by leveraging automation. Zapier allows smaller companies to put their valuable time and resources elsewhere. With the acceptance into a startup seed accelerator in the summer of 2012, the tech platform quickly gained funding and reached profitability by 2014. And as of 2021, Zapier grew to $140 million in annual revenue. Something as seemingly simple as automation became a lifeline for many businesses. Zapier allowed small companies to do very big things, a goal its founders had from the start. People were soon calling themselves Zapier Wizards, taking to Twitter to share the accomplishment they felt successfully setting up in automation. It was more than a resource. Zapier was a cheerleader. As they continued to climb higher and higher, the team at Zapier hoped to signal that even more possibilities were on the horizon for the company and its users. What they hoped for was a change of brand. But was this really the right change at the right time? Keep listening to find out.
0: The original logo for Zapier leaves a lot to be desired. Thin lowercase typography with an asterisk as a symbol over the eye. Orange is the lead color, and it all feels very startup The updated logo uses an underscore to lead the name and a chunky typeface with some nice thicks and thins. The rebrand also featured an expanded color palette, graphic elements, and an overhaul of the brand's voice. Overall, you get a sense that this identity propels them from brand that's just a startup to one that's really becoming a big player in the automation space. Be sure to see the change of brand for yourself at achangeofbrand.com. Zapier, like many startups, focused everything on the product and was just trying to make the business work. But unlike most startups, they actually had some success. And with that success came fast followers imitating everything that they did. It's hard to build, but it's easy to copy.
1: There was no differentiation from competitors, right? They were just kind of popping up all over the place. That's Michael
0: Jeter, Derek Jeter's cousin. Not really, but he is the former creative director at Zapier and the one that was responsible to lead the rebrand effort. He since moved on from the company, but was kind enough to give us his take on the change.
1: In that world, product market fit was great and all, but then there was a lot of different companies that had that same thing. And so there was no way for anyone to know the difference, right? And I think the big trick for Zapier is that they're Use case agnostic, I mean, there's like over 5,000 apps you can connect in many, many different ways, which means you have to be pretty creative to figure out what you're going to do. But a lot of these other automation companies that came up as competitors had very specific use cases, right? We we help you do your marketing or we help you do security or onboarding or whatever it is. So when you're Googling that stuff to figure out how to solve your problem, those companies are a lot easier to buy, right? Because you look at Zapier you're like, I don't know, but this one says it does it for me and what I need. So that was the ultimate problem. And then when you looked inside the company, because there were so many use cases, there's so many ways that you could use this. Even inside the company, everyone spoke about it differently. No no one had a good answer as to what Zapier was and what it did. Um, and so I could interview all the stakeholders in the world at the company, and they all gave me a very different idea as to why Zapier <laughs> mattered to its users and to the world and to how it's kind of changing the way that we worked. That could just be a really hard problem to solve, right, for, for a company. And, and what really engaged me in joining Zapier was that they didn't realize that they were a part of this kind of cultural movement called the no-code revolution. And they really didn't know that they were just like everyone was talking about them in certain ways in the internet, that they were a part of culture already. And for me, from a brand perspective, like that's gold.
0: When Michael was first offered the gig as creative director, he was excited to help solve this problem and to be part of a cultural movement called the No Code Revolution, which Zapier was a part of, essentially making the value of code accessible for anyone. As Michael got settled into his new role and considered the brand change at hand, he decided to bring in Instrument, a brand studio that specializes in digital products who he had previously worked with during his time at Dropbox. He appreciated their approach to working closely together and really getting into the nuances of the business, breaking down the old barriers between in-house brand teams and agencies.
1: I didn't know anything about Zapier and the leadership when I was joining, but I knew that whatever it was, there was going to be a lot of weird internal stuff that needed to, to happen, right? There's a lot of like ideas stuck in brains and we needed to move pretty quickly. I really wanted to build brand team at the same time. We were also building the brand and I wanted to work with people who knew how to do that collaboratively in a really interesting way. So first and foremost was kind of fo- format and process of collaboration. That was really important to me. But also Instrument just has a great history in, in working in a way to tell stories for, for tech brands that aren't like weird fluff. They aren't, they're really good at just getting down to the, to the brass tacks of kind of what it means for a human to use a tool and to kind of tell that story. And I really love that about working with them and understanding how to both tell the story of bigness. Like Zapier, I really, truly believe is changing the way that we work. It's a big thing to say. It's brand new. Automation's this crazy thing that we don't know what it is, but at the same time, people are just solving everyday work problems at the same time. So how do you pair those two stories in a way that feels like you have one foot in the cloud and one foot on the ground um, that people feel heard, but also feel excited about, about their own future?
0: Yeah, it is tricky to in the brand communication space to cast vision for what could be in the ambition and the, you know, the grandness, but also to like break it down so that an end user understands what this is. So if they're considering a product or service, they can quickly relate to it and not get confused by the visionary language of, you know, some grand ambition. So I love that. With Instrument on board, Michael gave them free reign to overhaul anything and everything with the brand. One challenge he knew was coming was the logical, rational engineering mindset of the
1: executive leadership. Engineer, specifically led companies, they're, they're all data and, and, and fact-based folks, right? And fortunately, I come from a science-based family. Like The scientific method is, is, is tattooed in my you know, inner eyelid, basically. Uh, and I actually run my design processes in a very similar way. So I think that's where I've, I've kind of found success with engineers in this way. And so the first thing I did, I put together kind of this giant Coda doc of the state of the brand. I'd done a bunch of stakeholder interviews. I had done taken all the research that existed around and just everything that I could, collected it in one place, and started to build out a picture, right? Very. very it was very long because there was a lot of information. And I was like, no one's going to read all this stuff, but also you could read all this stuff and think a lot of things still, right? So one of the things that I did to really set leadership up for success and instrument ourselves was start to like take anything that we were tech, tack- you know, why do customers not like us? Why do customers like us? What is our business opportunity? But all these kind of things, right? These main kind of pillars for a strategy. And I broke them down to like a single sentence kind of insight at the top of each page. And so I took all of the interviews from all the stakeholders, all saying different things. I was like, if I put that all together, you're saying this. And I really started creating these lightning rods for the entire company, not just leadership, to go in. I worked very transparently because it was really important for a company to accept a rebrand as much as as anyone else. And so they'd come in and start talking, right? Like the CEO could start talking with you know a PMM that they never really talked about this kind of stuff. And they were starting to kind of go back and forth of like, well, this is where the data or the research... Or this is how we feel, and it easily got to a point where, like, this is right or wrong, right? So each insight before instrument even entered the the picture, we were like, "Cool, this is what we're saying." From you know a very high level, I think some folks get a little too dry in that opening. We're like, "This is just a project brief, right?" But if we look at the state of work, it's chaos, <laughs> right? Like we're we're building a, a work brand. When we're all trying to figure out how to work at home and work from wherever, or where are, we, are we going to be going back to the, you know, the, all of these things that like, we're working too hard. The great resignation started happening. Like people were quiet quitting. Like all of this this stuff culturally around work was happening while we we're trying to build a thing that made work easier. Like we're, we're all agreeing that this is the world we're looking at, right? And this is the world that we're jumping into, which is really important to me.
0: Yeah. So you're saying the brief didn't just say you were an integrated business <laughs> uh, efficiency solution to help organizations Wait, I, I saved drive. Save that revenue. for
1: Save that for later. <laughs> that that battle was fought <laughs> later in, in, in what 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 are the 20 words that, that say us who we are?
0: <laughs> At this point in the story, instrument and the brand studio start to explore some broad conceptual design territories and start getting early temperature checks with leadership.
1: One of the things that I learned um and dealing with leadership especially in this kind of way especially in engineering is to not show them something to say no to i think a lot of founders are smart and they became founders because they wanted to create new things they they like to bring new things into the world and they have a really sad existence sometimes where a lot of people just bring them already solved problems and say pick one <laughs> and uh it's really difficult for them right it's it's not natural. They have to kind of sit in that that feeling, and so really making each one of these territories kind of a, a workshop process to bring them in, open, like bring them to a fig jam or Figma or a place where they can see things good, bad, and kind of talk about it and tell us how we can make it better. That's that's the process that I have learned. And like, oh, you guys want to play too? So really giving them a place to play in those things and and have their ideas on the table. And as soon as they do that, they have. A connection to wanting it to succeed. Um, and it just completely changes how they interact with a brand. When we got down to kind of our final three ideas, right, we we had a very specific timeline, you know, instrument kind of works on timelines. That's that's the way structurally they they bill, right? So they're like, you have this team for this amount of time, this is this cost, and that's that's a very clear way to kind of work with with them. And so our timeline was very specific and and we actually had struggled quite a bit, right? There there was a very normal tension that was happening that that kind of happens again in in tech and especially in the business the SaaS world a lot which is a lot of folks still look at work like their dad worked there or their mom like their their even their grandfather right like they in this mind when you think of like what a work brand should be they still feel like people have beepers on their belts and wear ties to work you know it's, it's just weird like even even us at our age like if you're not in a world that's constantly trying to break that up it's a constant and so there creates this little fear, this tension of fear around like this this idea that there's a consumer brand and a business brand, and the way it looks are different and feel different and it's just this this there's no way to quantify it. there's no research that says that in fact, the more business brands that kind of look consumery are killing it right like we mentioned Mailchimp earlier like that that's just exactly they, they proved the opposite to be true, and so it's really fun and Terrifying to kind of show up with work and be like, "There's some pretty interesting work that we were showing, right?" That was pushing the boundaries. That was that did feel maybe a bit consumer or a bit, you know, scary. And we were getting a lot of pushback on that. I think from marketing specifically, that that fear of like, "How do I pitch something that doesn't immediately say work?" And we didn't think we had it. Honestly, we we were just kind of in this place where we had finally our three last ideas, but there was a lot of doubt from leadership there was a moment where we had to do kind of like what we were talking about earlier right like we we had to make sure that we pitched at least one idea that both was able to have its head in its clouds for us to tell great stories but also was very very much grounded in the kind of like day to day of like what a technical type person might might use zapier um and so that was Kind of the aha moment for for Jack and I as we were looking at all these brands, we're like, these would be way cooler to do and probably more impactful. But like, what can we actually get done that we can use to grow over time? Right, like that was kind of where we were at. Like, what's good enough to solve the problem, but over the next three years could be amazing. You know, and it's and and so we're kind of at that moment. We're like, we're not going to come up with something that's amazing out of the gate. We we just we aren't there with leadership, but we have to leave a door open for ourselves, right? And I think a lot of companies get in that bind where they just compromise and do something that's not great and will never be great, right? And that's and that's tricky for them. And so that was that aha moment for us where we got really got there. We made this, the, the company uh, affectionately called it a Chonky Z. It was this big, bold Z that kind of had some electricity in it, not a lightning bolt um, for for design Twitter out there right now, but but kind of similar, right? Some, some electric uh, charge to it and then within that it could kind of contain anything any story any idea right it's it's not we weren't breaking any ground by using a logo that was also a frame but it very much solved the problems we spent the most time just showing what that could look like the most executions billboards online website we just really pushed in on that and that was kind of this moment we were we were all in <laughs> and if that didn't work um yeah the whole thing probably would have would have failed right there would have been a moment where i think we would have lost leadership in their trust and respect of of us being able to, to reach the work but it was a huge success
0: and michael gives a big piece of the credit to cheryl sue his boss and the vp of design she was working hard back channeling and working connections for the work to get approved around this time however a new global symbol was starting to emerge and make headlines related to russia's invasion of ukraine When we come back from the break, we learn more about how Michael and his team respond to the appearance of this very similar Z symbol making headlines. All that and more after the break. Hey, while we're taking this break, I want to give a huge shout out to BrandPad for sponsoring this episode. I love using BrandPad here at Matchstick where I work. Gone are the days of static and dusty brand guidelines. Made by designers, for designers, BrandPad is easy to use and allows us and our clients to make updates instantly. Because it's become our go-to platform for creating beautiful digital guidelines for clients, our friends at BrandPad have given us a code to share with you in hopes that it helps you too. Use code CHANGE15 for 15% off of your next subscription. For more information, check out brandpad.io. That's brandpad.io io
2: hey listeners did you know blake our fearless podcast host and dad joke expert has written a book what yeah it's totally true it covers a range of brand identity topics and solutions to help cmos and other brand leaders uncover a more radically relevant brand in fact that's the name radically relevant and since we all love to take quizzes it comes with an assessment too so you can see how your brand stacks up against the competition For more on the book or to take the free Radically Relevant assessment, check out radicallyrelevantbrand.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to join the conversation on Instagram. See more about today's episode, share with a friend, or send us an idea you have for a future episode at A Change of Brand. All right, let's get back to it.
0: Just before the break, the Zapier rebrand was finally gaining ground. They had narrowed down their options to a chunky Z that was near perfect. And I will say a Z letter form is a pretty great place to hone in on. Zs are symmetrical, unique, memorable, and you just don't see many brands out there starting with that character. So it's nice to take advantage of that. However, something was about to change the meaning of that letter form.
1: It's impossible not to notice. Many of the Russian vehicles invading Ukraine carry a distinctive mark. Trucks, tanks, fighting, engineering and logistical vehicles. They are advancing through Ukraine with the letter Z, painted conspicuously in white. It's almost certainly some kind of tactical grouping. There's a million different theories about what the Z means, but I think it's just a marking, it's just easy, easy thing to mark, just like a square triangle. In a war where the wannabe conquerors are not flying their national flag, that single character has taken on special significance.
0: Ivan Kuliak.
1: At a recent gymnastics World Cup event, 20 year old Russian competitor Ivan Kuliak accepted his bronze medal wearing a Z prominently on his chest. He was standing
0: next to a Ukrainian.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were two weeks away from launch. March 26th was our launch. I remember that date because my birthday is March 24th. I was ready to celebrate, you know, this big launch and my birthday at the same time. Code was frozen. We were ready to just push the button and launch. And all of a sudden, some news started coming in around the Russian-Ukrainian war, where the pro-Putin military started using the Z as their symbol for the war. Kind of like celebrities were wearing the Z as all like pro-Putin, like pro-war or whatever and so it started trick- trickling through and and you know my boss Cheryl was like is this going to be a problem <laughs> like this like this is crazy like this this looks like the z is kind of becoming this awful symbol at, at first i was like ah the z's are so different <laughs> you know like it'll probably go away but as we really started Looking at what it meant to, to launch a Z in the world where this this Z was was really an affront to kind of everything that we believed as a company, but also as a, as a country, we we couldn't do it. <laughs> we, we we had to we had to make the decision to to throw it all away. Um, and that decision really became crystal when our CEO we were about to have our first ever um, company retreat from since COVID. He's like, what's going to happen when hundreds of people show up in an airport wearing giant Z's on their chest? Like, what's that going to look like? And will they, right? Like, will they just not wear this? And, and you know, like, we're going to put our customers next to the Z. Will they reject it? So it just became really clear that even if it was possible that it could still work, it was not worth the risk. So, yeah, we, we decided to throw it all away. Wow. Yeah.
0: Man, that's a big curveball. I mean, that that's months worth of work and and just like that it's it's gone in a really unfortunate coincidence yeah. you know like if you would have been doing this at any other point in history it just that would not have overlapped and so how did you process
1: that like what was your feeling it was I reached out to a lot of friends in the industry that I, that I really trusted and so I, I went through the processing I was part of the decision, right? I was part of putting together the brief of like what should we or we shouldn't we? Right. And so I reached around a lot of friends who were, you know, brand strategists or, you know, just in this kind of work. And the story was always the same with them, right? They're like, they start with, It's probably gonna be okay. And then as you start asking these questions, by the end of the conversation, they were always like yeah, you can't do this. <laughs> and ultimately through a friend of mine, Dee, Dee Gordon, who's this just incredible brand strategist who was doing, helping me do some work. She used to work with Debbie Millman um, back in the day and reached out to her and was just like, what do you think about this? And, and Debbie just put it in such a clear no. That was like our entire work, our entire life's work is around proving to the world that symbols matter, right? That using symbols to affect culture and we want people to believe that about the work because we believe in it. And that's how we want to find value. And so all of a sudden, just because it's inconvenient, you're going to throw away that concept that symbols matter and, and put a symbol in the world that right now holds a lot of pain in it. And at that moment, I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, like that, that was it for me. The
0: decision was made. Michael went back to his team armed with enough conviction to rationalize the decision and told them it was time to start over. However, this time, they only had three weeks. But I was curious, why the rush? Isn't this too important to fast track? Why not just push back the launch date?
1: It was about eight months that we were working on it originally. And that's a long time for a company to kind of, you know, not stand still, but, but kind of be, you know, one hand tied behind their back. One of the weird decisions that we had to make is not only did we scrap it and do a, a, another go at the rebrand we just decided to launch everything that was already existing online but we pulled out the new brand and just kept the old brand in right so like logo swaps back to the old typography old you know color all that kind of stuff like quick changes in the design systems but just launched everything that was because we knew we would be it's easier to move forward with that but that stuff was so much better than what was before that we just had to like go with it, right? So there was this interesting middle ground. The homepage to this day is still the homepage from that middle ground. And so, and the team's working on kind of really bringing it up to the new brand. So it was that that weird kind of thing where we kind of had to let off the pressure valve, but then also looking at the year and the time, it wasn't going to be a company priority anymore, right? Like it's really hard to get engineering to back you and product to back you and you know all this kind of stuff and so you kind of have just a a small window where they go you know what we're fine without a rebrand right like you launch this design refresh it looks great never mind right and i think that you know maybe that was fear-led maybe that's not true but that's kind of how i was reading the tea leaves on if we took eight months again not only would we lose steam and probably backing but we would also lose most of our team because they'd have to be doing day-to-day work again, which which I was protecting them from to, to work on the rebrand. So we would lose a lot of the people who were able to kind of push the work forward. So I was just kind of looking at timelines, launches, things that were happening and being like, well, we got three months to get this out, which means I got three weeks to come up with the new viz and two months to get it out there uh, or else we're going to probably lose our chance.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of before autosave functionality and illustrator (laughs) or others when when you would have that moment where you're working and you just for whatever reason hadn't saved in a few hours and then power flickers or whatever boom the program crashes and you're just like oh my gosh and you go through the the cycle of grief you're like why is this happening i can't believe this happens to me but then as soon as you like you're like okay fine it happened I'm accepting it. I'm going to, I'm going to move on. You're always like, I'm going to build it better. I'm going to build it faster and quicker. And usually, usually would, it usually would, you yeah. know, it would be painful, but you would rebuild it. Uh, so this is like the real life version of Adobe illustrator crashing and you losing everything, but at a much, much bigger level and maybe even more like time compressed. Cause you had a few weeks to deliver something,
1: you know, that's gotta be the most beautiful way To put this, I've I've told the story a lot and talked to a lot of people. No one has made that connection. And it's actually brilliant because it's true, right? Like when did Illustrator or Photoshop or whatever crash the most? Always when a deadline was looming. Always at 2 a.m. before your like it was always the point where you were the most desperate, the most tired, like always, right? And growing up, yeah, as a designer, that was just part of reality. Like, like that—that that would happen to you. Could happen to any time, um, especially as you got tired, you forgot to save or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Like, there's there's a whole other podcast to be had about to, to do new designers who don't have autosave. Do, will they have the grit to go through something so? Uh, Gut wrenching as losing all of your work at the worst. No, time. <laughs> and the
0: answer is no. They won't, <laughs> and they won't. They won't have like exacto cuts on their fingertips from sprint, oh like mounting things at the last minute, running into class, and you oh. know, nick your finger. And yeah, man. Now we just back. feel like now. It's, now we sound like a bunch of old grumpy creative <laughs> director.
1: Oh, you kids. <laughs> yeah, in our day, we went uphill both ways to make a Photoshop file. Yeah. You're not a
0: designer until you bleed on your printout. (laughs) Okay, we digress. With this new slightly crazy plan in place, Michael was excited about giving it another crack. He liked the original Chunky Z, of course, but he had wondered, like many creatives do, is this really the right answer or is there something else out there? Now he and his team had the chance to answer that question and the underscore or blank stage concept was born.
1: The logo is just a platform. It's an underscore, right? It's it's the whole idea is that Zapier is nothing without your ideas as as a customer and what you do with it. So we kind of use that as the concept. And so any kind of animation or story can exist on that platform. And so we actually built a whole world of possibilities around visuals for that, that we had to kind of define and look at. And so it kind of took us away from everything in this whole new world. But it was such a beautiful system when we saw it. We're like, this is, this is it? Is this it? It's, a, it's just a line. You know, there's that moment where I was like, am I an idiot or is this brilliant? And uh, the jury's probably still out. But um, from a system, it really started to show itself and how it could kind of scale across many things and tell a story over and over again that was really new and engaging. And so it was, that was where the excitement came when we found that platform kind of concept. It was really hard to find a symbol that told the story for the, for the company, right? Like that's kind of why ultimately we leaned on the Z in the first place, right? We we, we gave some cool, interesting visual treatment to the Z. It was It was beautiful, but like, Ultimately, it only mattered because Z is for Zapier, right? And so to move away from that, we can't use the Z anymore. That was a big struggle we had in the first round. was like, how do you show automation or connecting apps or these things? It just was, it was, and anything you did was Done a hundred times before, right? You would like, oh, this is cool, and then someone would find it in some like '60s logo type book and be like, here it is. You know, you're like, God damn it, you know. So um, I hate those lo- <laughs> logo modernism books or like yeah. the old ancient forms
0: and shapes. Yeah, it's yeah. always been done. Somebody has always done it. it there is nothing new under the sun. No. There is something that exists out there just always. like that former shape you're creating.
1: Right? Always. And, and and honestly, when we found the platform idea, the same. Right? There's a few brands who use this underscore idea but the way we were using it i think is really what transformed it right most people just use it as an underscore or just as a line but we use it as a vehicle to tell stories in, in a completely different way that had motion to it and kind of growth and kind of new possibilities and so i think that's the part that i'm the most excited about a lot of brands you build them for for today for a company but tech companies change all the time right like they they have these big bets and these hopes and these ideas and like you got to pivot to what the world is doing and so if you don't make a brand system that can accommodate change and feel still true to what it always meant, then you're making something that's going to break.
0: With this new logo and overall visual system cobbled together in just a few short weeks, they started again to think about launch. The original idea was to flip the switch and have it all go live at once. However, the strategy had obviously shifted. They had interim assets live and Then a few months later, they decided to launch the new identity along with a brand campaign titled Set Your Work in Motion. We've got it posted on the Change of Brand website if you want to go see it for yourself. Overall, the launch went pretty smooth, and Michael was thankful for that, that there wasn't any backlash. With all of the drama inside the process to arrive at this place, I would have been counting my lucky stars. Okay, time to wrap this change story up. Overall, I feel a bit torn on whether or not abandoning the Z was the right call. In the moment, I think I would have decided exactly what Michael and the Zapier leadership team decided. However, in hindsight, as of this recording, I don't really get the sense that the Z symbol as a pro-war, pro-Russian symbol has really stuck around. At least in the West, its prominence in the media has really declined. In fact, a quick Google Trend report suggests that searches for the Russian Z symbol have declined by 92% in the last year. So should they have stayed the course and just weathered the storm? Perhaps. Perhaps they could have delayed the launch a few more months. Perhaps they could have not released the Z as a standalone symbol and used it only in a logo lockup always next to the name Zapier, like you see other Z brands do, like Zillow or Zendesk. Would anyone have really generated a negative reaction to that letter if it was sitting next to Zapier? My guess is probably not. But then again, perhaps it might have been a disastrous PR nightmare. We will never know. The risk was just too great in the end, and it's hard to disagree with Michael's decision making. One last twist before we officially wrap up. Michael has moved on from Zapier. Actually, this interview was on his last day with the company. He decided to leave sort of unexpectedly, chasing another exciting opportunity, leading the marketing and creative team at Stripe. But he left the company in good hands.
1: And I'm also really proud of the team that I was able to help build. You know, when I started, there was one designer and me, and we built it, or, or two, I guess. And then... Um, You know, it's now a team of 10 10 or 12 folks of just like really phenomenal designers and writers and, you know, design ops folks. And it just, it's a, it's an incredible team that I'm really proud of. And they now have the runway to make really beautiful and, and engaging work. And the year ahead is really set up for that in really interesting ways.
0: Okay. That is a wrap. Special thanks to Michael Jeter for giving us his take on the change. To see more visuals from today's episode, head on over to achangeofbrand.com. And if you like today's show, share it with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode was edited by Landon Ose Tutu, fact checked by Jill Jeffries, written in part and produced by Brianna Belcher. Special thanks to Tracy Clark for the briefing and Rachel Jackson for today's artwork. I'm your host, Blake Howard, signing off.